what I'm hoping to do in this series of teachings uh, is to show you Jesus the Emancipator. Jesus, the one who really, by his initiatives as the sovereign Lord of our history, uh, ever since the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father, um, at a certain time in our history, Jesus decided to do away with the slave industry worldwide. And he looked for some people who were willing to work with him on that, and he found them. And this is a kind of view of the emancipation of slaves, the abolition of the slave industry, that we, most people today, have forgotten. And um, more and more people uh, have looked at it from a more of a secular point of view. But the fact remains that, uh, as many historians have said down through the ages, that the, um, the abolition of slavery and the emancipation of slaves was directly related to the Second Great Awakening. And so what I'm really hoping to do, and this is a shameless plug, I'm hoping that you will get this book, Glory Through Time, because part five and part six, this entire section of my book is about this. It's about the Second Great Awakening and its impact to transform the world out of slavery. Very few people realize that Jesus was the prime mover in this. And of course, you, it's hard to prove that historically, but what we're showing is that Jesus established a certain pattern which we call revival tides. And it's the revival tides that show Jesus being involved in history. When you see a revival tide, you know that Jesus is behind it. It's his pattern. It's the kingdom of God. It's how the kingdom of God works. And so the tide comes in, and then suddenly uh, you've got Christian people who are devoting themselves to the eradication of slavery as an industry, worldwide industry, and then the, the freeing of slaves all around the world. How did this happen? Um, it's important for us to review uh, the facts of history. So, um, so often when this is discussed, you know, there's a kind of an underlying idea that we're trying to prove our particular people group innocent or guilty or, or whatever, but we're, we have to, to take a broad look. We have to rise up above and look at the whole picture and try to understand what the facts of slavery were and are, and then look at it from that higher point of view, we'll say God's point of view. Um, so for that purpose, the, our, our friend is the historian. Historians have developed uh, down through the ages uh, disciplines of trying to separate fact from fiction. So, just the facts, ma'am. That's what they're after. And um, I find that some 
historians. Some books are better at this than others. So let me just introduce you real quickly to uh, a few historians that I find to be worthy of reading. Um, and the, the main one is this guy, uh, Milton Meltzer, Slavery, A World History. That's a, it's not a, an, uh, a quick and easy book to read, but um, when you've finished with this book, you will have known uh, the fact of, of, the, of slavery down through history. Um, and a second book, Slavery and Slaving in African History by Sean Stilwell. Again, this focuses mostly on Africa, but it's important for us to understand what were the facts of slavery in Africa and uh, how it developed. And so that's a good book. Another book that I really loved uh, reading was uh, Arguing About Slavery, The Great Battle in the United States Congress by William Lee Miller. Uh, William Lee Miller is surely one of the great historians of our past. And uh, what these do is they, they give you just an unbiased understanding of what slavery looked like down through history. And I believe it's important for us to, to just pay attention to what these guys say. Also, I found Encyclo Encyclopedia Britannica Online, a, a helpful source of information. So again, we're not trying to prove anything. We're not trying to uh, uh, argue about something or, or another to make a point, but we're just trying to understand what happened and uh, get the truth of the past. And in this, to try to understand things from God's perspective rather than just our own perspective. As a white man, I want to justify white men. Uh, but, you know, other people I find want to justify their culture and their nation. We have to get beyond justifying ourselves because Jesus justifies us. And so we don't have to justify ourselves anymore. We can just look at the truth and see what the truth is. And so... As we look at the slavery issue, um, what we find is that all nations and all cultures believed in it. Um, not that all cultures, not all nations took slaves, but they believed that it was inevitable. Some cultures provided slaves for others, the powerful preying upon the weak, and and this is just the the picture of it. So what I wanna what I wanna do is just to read from my book, from quotes from these historians to just make the point. And that's all I'm doing this time is just to make a point. This is from Milton Meltzer and his slavery: a world history, and he's summarizing here. The institution of slavery was universal throughout much of history. It was a tradition everyone grew up with. It seemed essential to the social and economic life of the community, and man's conscience was seldom troubled by it. Both master and slave looked upon it as inevitable. 
Yeah, most of us don't remember this. I mean, frankly, most of us have kind of an idea in our heads that way back when people treated each other kindly and were nice to each other and our particular people group uh, was really, really just and innocent and we, we all like to think of ourselves that way. We like to think of hu the human race as being basically good. And, uh, and yet, the information that comes from the historians of slavery do not really support that. Um, here, for example, is Encyclopedia Britannica Online. Let me just read for you um, the facts of slavery as they describe it. The international slave trades developed into elaborate networks. For example, in the 9th and 10th centuries, Vikings and Russian merchants took East Slavic slaves into the Baltic. They were then gathered in Denmark for their transshipment and they were sold to Jewish and Arabic slave traders who took them to Verdun and Lyon. There, some of the males were castrated, and from those places the slaves were sold to harems throughout Moorish Spain and North Africa. In the ninth century, the Baghdad Caliphate got slaves from Western Europe via Marseille, Venice, and Prague. Arabs developed similar supply networks out of black Africa across the Sahara, across the Red Sea from Ethiopia and Somalia, and out of East Africa, which supplied the Islamic world and the Indian Ocean region with human chattel. Well, you know, I've known a lot of people who really felt like their nation didn't have slavery or their culture didn't believe in slavery, but just this one paragraph from Encyclopedia, it covers just about all of the, all of it, you know, it goes through Eastern Europe, Northern Europe, Western Europe, Africa, Asia, uh, Middle, uh, that is to say, um, uh, the Middle East. And you see that it's, it's a vast network where everybody is buying and selling slaves at some point or other throughout the Middle Ages and on into uh, what's called the Enlightenment years. I mean, it's, it's like uh, people are just doing this. It's just normal. It's a part of life. Um, here's uh, a, a piece on the African slave trade. Again, just a paragraph from Sean Stilwell about Africa. The Arabs came early and never left. In the 15th century, the slave trade extended all through Eastern Africa. Swahili agents handled it for Arabs who shipped the blacks to Arabia, Persia, and India in their dhows. The sea passage was terrible, sometimes worse than the infamous Atlantic slaving voyages. The Swahili traders worked with the tribes just off the coast who raided further inland for captives. Coming out to the coast in caravans, the slaves carried ivory and other goods. Great numbers died en route to the slave markets in Dar es Salaam, Zanzibar, Melinda, and Pemba Island. 
the hardships of the slaves on the march to the coast, compounded by their suffering in the dows, caused the deaths of countless more at sea. The Portuguese erected their first fort in West Africa at Almina, the mine, on the Gold Coast in 1481. The castle was built with walls 30 feet thick and had 400 cannon jutting from the battlements. But Almina did not stand alone for long. The English, the French, the Swedes, the Dutch, the Danes, the per Prussians built their own forts as they fought for pieces of Africa's trade. Berber chieftains in the southern Sahara established the slave trade out of Africa to the north. They traded horses for slaves, with the black rulers usually getting 10 to 15 men for one horse. You know, it's not a, it's not a nice picture. It really isn't. And, and it's little wonder that we try to forget. But it's the truth. And the truth is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. And we all have this in our history. And this kind of history is just what you'd expect if the Bible, what the Bible says is true. The whole world is in the power of the evil one. But then Jesus came back to destroy the works of the devil. So what we're, what we're going to see in this series of teachings as we go along is how Jesus assigned a time. He's the sovereign Lord of history. He assigned a time in which he decided he would confront the whole slave industry as the works of the devil because he didn't want them in the world anymore. So what we're going to look at in this and what we have in this uh, series of chapters, chapter 38 to 52 in my book, uh, we're going to look and see who was willing to listen to Jesus and take his life in his hands because this was dangerous work. And they were going to, by believing in Jesus and following the Holy Spirit, they're going to confront the slave industry and in Jesus' name, destroy it. And that is a pretty exciting story.